evening. Good morning. We are in Luke chapter, you should know this. Do you know what chapter we're in? 19, thank you. I asked my own children that a few weeks ago and they weren't sure. Um, so Luke 19, uh, we're going to be beginning over in Luke 28, or sorry, Luke 19, verse 28. Uh, so find your way there. Get the word of God before your eyes this morning so you can see it for yourself and seek to understand it this morning. Uh, one way or another. Uh, so if you remember, though, <clears throat> today is kind of a significant thing in the, in the passage, uh, in, the cha- in the whole book of Luke, actually, because way back in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, uh, we were told that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. If you remember that, it's been a while now, uh, to go to Jerusalem. And that's where he's been headed at this point. Uh, that's where he's going to fulfill these prophecies. That's where he's going to lay down his life uh, as a sacrifice for the people of God. That's where he's, he's going to be resurrected back to life, where he goes to redeem us from our sin. Uh, and we're looking at it, and it's, it's 10 chapters in the, in the Gospel of Luke. It's 42 miles if you wanted to actually uh, get down to the geography of it. And today we actually get a glimpse of um, at the end of this, right, as, as he, this triumphant entrance into the city of Jerusalem, the place he has been headed into this just majestic city. Uh, and we're going to read the whole passage today. It's a little long. We're going to read the whole thing, and then we'll break it down and try to understand it and, uh, and apply it. So let's uh, do that. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, <clears throat> he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as, they, they, as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to, said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And he And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Uh, This is your word telling us of the moment your son entered into the city of Jerusalem. This is the beginning of the end for his earthly ministry. Please give us understanding this morning that we may learn what you desire us to learn from this passage. Believe what you desire us to believe. Feel what you desire us to feel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's start with the geography here. I know sometimes we get into biblical things and it's hard to picture what we're talking about here. Uh, Bethany is a village. It's outside of Jerusalem, uh, but not very far out of Jerusalem. In fact, if you were to measure it, and it has been done, it it comes out to one mile and one and five-eighths mile, to be awfully specific, uh, outside of the city gate. So to put that in perspective, if the Wareham, the building we are in, 
were the entrance, or were the entrance of Jerusalem, or rather were Bethany, then the entrance of Jerusalem would be K-States on that corner right there by Varsity Donuts. That would be the distance we're talking about, walking to there from here. Uh, Bethany is really kind of like a, a first century suburb in one sense. There's no soccer moms or Starbucks, but uh, outside the city, but still kind of considered the city in some regard. Uh, there's still some gaps between the two at this point. Uh, Bethany was on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. You've probably heard of this, right? It is sometimes called Olivet, like we see in the passage here. Uh, not now, but later today, and really not now. I know you're going to be tempted to if you have a phone out. Um, but look up Mount of Olives or, or Olivet. Look it up. It's kind of surprising because you, you picture it as this big mountain, right? So don't, don't, don't think Colorado mountains. Think uh, Manhattan Hill or Bluemont Hill, the one with the big Manhattan Hollywood signs on it. Uh, here in town. It's not a massive thing. It's, it's, it's a hill more than anything. It's just, it's not very mountainy that he's going down. However, the actual location here is, is hugely significant when we're talking about just uh, the way God is working in the world. Th- this is the place where, where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. This is where he's at. Uh, the bottom of this mount is the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus goes to pray on the night that he's betrayed. After his resurrection, this is where Jesus actually ascends to the Father. Uh, And this is the very place where in Zechariah 14.4, the prophecy is that this is where Jesus is going to first appear when he returns, where his feet will first set down. And so on this day, though, Jesus goes down this Mount of Olives, and then he goes up this path, because it's down a hill, and then it's back up a hill into Jerusalem, and it's the same path that so many Jews for years and years and years and, uh, have journeyed on their way to the temple as they, as they go on this journey. In fact, this is where the singing of the, psalm, the Psalms of Ascension would be, the Psalms 120 through 134 in our, in our you know, bound Bibles. And at the end of verse 29, we are told that, that Jesus then sends two of his disciples, go, go get a colt, right? And we don't know which two disciples they are, no, no clue. And, and, and really, the absence of these two names, I, I find incredibly encouraging. I hope you find it too, because most of our life is like this. What we do for the Lord is not credited to us. No one knows your names. No one knows what you did publicly in any way. Even here, you, you know, you can name all the disciples, but who is it? Is this Peter? Is it, is it John? Is it Matthias? Is it Bart? Who, who is it that actually does this? Now, we, we don't know, and it doesn't matter at all because the Lord knows who it was who's, who's stepping out and serving him in this way, who's obeying his command in this regard. And, and so then Jesus is strangely specific here, right, regarding the colt. He wants it. It's, you're going to find it. Go. It's going to be tied up, and no one's ever ridden on this colt. Uh, and, and then when you ask them about it, someone might ask you about it and just tell them the Lord has need of it. It's kind of strange. It, it turns out Jesus, it goes exactly like Jesus said it would. And, and it's strange because uh, I can remember years ago listening to a, a Bible teacher of some sort um, going to great lengths to explain this passage, uh, to explain the way Jesus must have accomplished, accomplished this. And, and the guy said, you know, so, so we don't have it in the text here, but Jesus must have sent someone ahead of him and, and told them, hey, Later on, there's going to be some disciples coming, and they're going to ask all this stuff. And when they say this, you, here's the code phrase, so you know they're the right people. And when you hear that, just let them take it, and it's already paid for and taken care of or something like that. 
And, and I, I hear him doing that, and I just don't understand why, why you'd come to that conclusion. Why you go to that much effort to explain this away? Because what we're talking about here is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're talking about Jesus who healed blind men and, and bleeding women. We're, we're talking about Jesus who returned the, the life to dead children and who has cast out demons from so many. We're talking about Jesus who has turned water into wine, and, and he knows the hearts of men and women and children. And, and this is the Jesus who later raises from the dead and yet somehow here is this man trying to explain how this couldn't possibly have been any, anything divinely going on as if Jesus were not Jesus. You see, when, when people refuse the glaring, obvious biblical fact that Jesus is sovereign, they will go to great lengths to explain away his divinity because we want it to fit into the, the world as, as we understand it, which isn't always proper. Listen, this... This is supposed to be mysterious to us. But, it, but it's supposed to, to lead us to, to just awe as we ask our, our, ourselves that question, right? How did he know this? Only to realize that he knows this, right? Because of his, his vast power and, and knowledge that, that Jesus has over everything, including this situation. In fact, let, let the knowledge of, of Jesus comfort you who are in Christ. Because Jesus knows what's going on in your life. Jesus knows the moment you faithfully followed him, the moment you've served someone in his name, even if no one else knows. He knows. And so at this point, um, how, how many of you read this and are thinking, is it a cult or it is a donkey? What's going on here? Is that, am I the only one who first on reading this was like, this is confusing because it's supposed to be a donkey. I know from children's books. Um, in our general language, a colt is either a horse, like the Indianapolis Colts, uh, or it is a gun. And hopefully you are able to figure out that it's not talking about a Colt 45, it's not a gun. Uh, you're able to do that part on your own. The, the word colt, though, when you really get down to it technically, it, means a, a, it can mean a young horse or it can mean a young male donkey. And from other gospel accounts, we are absolutely certain that this is indeed a donkey that Jesus rides in on. It's a young male donkey donkey is what this is. Now, maybe you've noticed in, in many historical paintings of kings or if you see generals, uh, whenever you see someone riding anything into a city or into battle, it's always someone on a horse, right? And they look powerful and they're strong. There's that famous picture of wee little Napoleon uh, on, on the horse. It's like three of them. He must have commissioned a bunch of those. Um, but that's what we see in these paintings. But historically, kings would actually ride into cities on both horses and donkeys, and which they rode in on was, was highly significant. There, there was symbol, uh, some, it was symbolic in nature. They, they rode a horse when they came as conquerors, when they wanted to show their power to let them know, I, we're, we're coming in to conquer the city, to take it over, we're bringing the, the, the sword. But they rode a donkey when they came in peace, when they're bringing blessings, because nobody can look powerful and cool on a donkey. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem at this time to, to make peace. His second coming is going to display his might. His second coming is going to display true justice. But at this time, Jesus comes in humility. He comes with peace, right? This time, as Jesus says in, in, in Matthew 11, uh, 11, 29 or 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, Jesus is, is not entering 
Jerusalem at this point to, to bring about some political rebellion. He's not coming to, overflow, to overthrow the Roman government. He, he hasn't come to gather an army or with an army. He, he hasn't come to make Israel great again. Jesus in this moment shows himself to be king unlike all other kings because he comes in meekness. He comes in gentleness. Uh, this is the king of peace. Even as he is mistreated, even as he is, is rejected, you remember in the, in the days to come, he's not even going to defend himself against Pilate or anyone else. This is Jesus who's going to just lay down his life in order to redeem his people from their sin. And, and Philip Ryken points out here that the church does not effectively spread the gospel by sword or by arrogance, but by mirroring the humble spirit of its king and its savior. Jesus specified that this cult, this young donkey had to never been written before. It seems like a strange request or a strange observation. The, the reason for that is that animals that were used in temple sacrifices had to have never been used before. That was, uh, that was the expectation of them. And, and you can understand it. We, we, we still kind of think this way today. I, when I was old enough to first really need to be able to shave, one Christmas I opened up this package uh, from my dad. It was a gift and it was an electric razor and I thought, okay, that's interesting because it was not in any package at all. It was just an electric razor wrapped up in um, wrapping paper, right? That's what we call it. And I looked closer at this thing and I noticed this thing is actually used. There's like a nick here. This is a used razor. And I'm asked, Dad, is this an old razor? And it turns out it was his old razor, and he got a new one and thought maybe I'd want to use it. But he wrapped it up as a Christmas gift, and that was the weird thing about it. Um, my brothers and I have mocked him forever uh, since this day. Now, even as I, I say this, I'll, I'll admit, my dad started listening to these sermons a while back, and every once in a while he'll call me when I tell stories about family in here. And so I know I am busted right now. A few days from now, my dad's going to call me and be, why'd you share that story? Um, you know, just share great stories about me. And there are those. Uh, so let me give my defense now because it'll help you and it'll help my phone call later on. <laughs> this illustrates the points of the unused donkey. J just like we shouldn't, not that we don't, but we shouldn't wrap and gift people our old junk as gifts. Uh, the people of Israel were not to bring to God their worn out old work animals. You don't come into the temple and be like, we have this donkey, it's probably going to die, we can get it there though. Here's my donkey that is pretty much worthless at this point, Lord. That, that's not what they did. They, they were to bring good donkeys. They were to bring good animals to be used as sacrifice. That, that's why this donkey had to be completely unused, unridden. That's the point. This is a, an untouched thing. This is made for a sacrifice or good for a sacrifice. A, a donkey that is fit for a sacrifice because it is going to be carrying the sacrifice into the city. And so you see the symbolic nature there. So dad, don't call. The other aspect of why a donkey is that it fulfills this prophecy back in uh, Zechariah 9.9, which, which says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's a reference to Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Also a reference to Jerusalem. Uh, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, uh, and righteous and having salvation as he, here it is, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And Jesus fulfills this when he rides into the city on the back of this colt. And as he comes, he comes with this symbol of peace. He comes with this presence of humility, like the world doesn't see in kings. 
Of course, the whole getting the donkey thing happens exactly like he says he would. They, they ask about it, and they say the Lord has need of it, and it works. Um, I read that. I kind of think of Tim in Star Wars, right? These are not the drones you're looking for. Uh, it's kind of how it feels. The, the owner asks no other questions, and isn't that beautiful? Like there's a, we know that the Lord is, is working here sovereignly, but, it, but it's beautiful to see this owner's response because the owner doesn't claim it as his possession. It, well, where are you going with that? That thing's worth money. Pay me for it. There's nothing like that. All, all he needs to know is that the Lord has need of it, and he lets him go. No more questions asked at all. Isn't this the attitude that we want to have in our life with the things the Lord has given us, whether it be our time, our money, our possessions, our skills, whatever it might be, that if the Lord has need of it, that we freely give to the Lord as it is used or needed. And so then in verse 35, they bring the donkey to Jesus, and they throw their cloaks on the back of the donkey, and then they actually lift Jesus up and place him on this donkey, and the reason they throw their cloaks on it is that a king does not ride in bareback. It's the way a king does it, and it's not the fanciest or nicest version of this, but they do it as a way of showing honor to the Lord. And so try to picture this. His, his closest disciples who have traveled and, and seen his mighty works, uh, who have heard his powerful teaching, are the first to start shouting praise to him. It's a small group at the beginning. And then the mass of his disciples, those a little further out that have been following him but maybe aren't as close to him, they start to join in too. And then many others join in. And before you know it, everyone in the city is either part of this or they're looking at Jesus and they're wondering, who is this man? What's going on here? They, 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 they see that Jesus is loved by his disciples, that he's being praised by his disciple, and, and that draws their attention to him. You see, this is the way that that cities welcomed kings back in the day with all this, this pomp. It's, it's the way that, that towns will welcome the Queen Elizabeth to this very day in England. It's how Hollywood receives its so-called royalty at movie premieres, right? Crowds up against the edges as they walk in on red carpets and adoring fans and such. This, this gives us something to think about, though. If we publicly and openly and unapologetically praise the Lord like this, even individually, right? Because we're not going to have Jesus riding through the street. But if this was our mindset, would others begin to take notice? I'm not saying they would instantly love Jesus, but, but would they become more interested in knowing who is this king that, that these people adore, that they praise, that they have no shame in acknowledging their love for here? So we haven't mentioned it yet, but this event in our passage is recognized annually in the spring. Anyone know what we call it? Palm Sunday, yeah. Palm Sunday because of the palm branches that in the other Gospels we're told the people are waving and throwing down in front of the donkey uh, as well. You don't see it mentioned in the Luke passage here uh, as he's going. And, And not just palm branches though, the other one's mentioned and so does this, but their own clothing is being laid in the path of the donkey. And so you picture it, here comes Jesus on this donkey, and disciples are taking their clothes and putting them down, and this donkey walks over it, you know, so that he can go over it, which in our age of pragmatism seems really foolish, really foolish. Your your coat is going to be covered in mud and dirt and all this nasty stuff, and don't you know that donkeys just go whenever they want to go? They don't scratch at the door and you let them out, they just go, which means your clothes have high chance of getting donkey dung all over them. Um... Any of you old enough to have seen an old movie, Rodney, you'll be in this category. I won't claim Susie will because she's a woman. I don't know her age. Um, 
Any of you old enough to have seen an old movie or TV show where you see there's a man and a woman and they're walking down the street and they come to the intersection and there's nasty water there, right? And they stop. What happens? Yeah, the, the takes his coat and lays it down and she walks over it. And I can remember even as a, um, a kid wondering, what is wrong with this man? There are so many better options in this moment. You could walk around the puddle because there's always room you can see there. That's, you know, the most clear, obvious one. The other thing is the guy, you look strong. You could just pick her up and carry her over that. Uh, but you have so many good options. Why in the world did, did you do that? Now you have to carry this nasty coat. And, and us younger, I mean, I'm going to throw myself in younger in this sense. Usually that's not the case. But it, it's this symbolic it's, it's respect, it's to show her great honor, not because she's incapable of getting around the, the, the puddle, but just to show this, this great honor and this willing to sacrifice in that way. It, it, that's what's going on there. That's what's going on here. Now, even though we don't see people lay their coats in puddles today, I haven't. If you ever see it, please send me a video of this happening in real life. Uh, but we do still see similar acts like this. Have you ever been to a wedding? Right? They send little girls, little boys down the, the aisle and they throw petals, right? rose petals. There's no practical reason for that. It's, it's just a way of showing honor to the bride before she walks down the aisle. And, and so here are his disciples saying, for, for you, Jesus, I, I lay down my coat. I don't even care. I just, I just want to show you this honor. And Jesus' disciples, they don't consider it an insult to, to have this donkey walk over their clothes. They're not thinking about the cleaning bill or any of those other things. They're, they're seeing this and, and they consider it a privilege, a way to show not only respect to Jesus, but to show true reverence for Jesus. Reverence for Jesus. And so then in verse 37, we, we read the words, the actual things that this mass of disciples are shouting. And as Jesus rides down this Mount of Olives and up into Jerusalem, they're, they're rejoicing and they're praising God. And do you see what they're saying there? It says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they're shouting. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and, and as they're saying this, they're echoing these words from Psalm 118, uh, verse 26, which, which says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Only they change it slightly. I don't know if you picked up on that uh, that quickly, but Jesus' disciples know Psalm 118. They know that this is about the coming Messiah. They, they know that the coming Messiah is going to be royalty. And so instead of saying, blessed is he who comes, they say, blessed is the king who comes. That's on purpose. They also say, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Like maybe we've heard that somewhere. Um, we're hitting kind of on Christmas and Easter here in these, these phrases. Uh, it's okay if you don't remember it. It was all the way back in Luke 2.14. I had to look it up. I was curious how long ago that was. That was September of 2018. So if it's not familiar from the preaching, that's, that's okay. That last week, I'll get on to you for it. Two years ago, you have a pass. Uh, at Jesus' announcement, the multitude of angels are, are speaking, not really singing, but speaking. They, they say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. The, the angels thus say, peace on earth. That's the location they're talking about, peace. But, but here, what, in what actually proves to be more of a death announcement, that was the birth announcement of Jesus. This is the death announcement, the sacrifice announcement of, of, of Jesus. And here his disciples shout, not peace on earth, but peace in heaven. There's that distinction, there's a change that happens here. The, the point is, that Jesus doesn't yet bring peace among the earth. 
Have you seen the news lately? You, you don't really look out and think, wow, this, this earth is flourishing. Look at all the peace out there. Um, we don't see that. This earth is not full of peace. But, but, but as we are given faith to believe in Christ, to trust in Him, we have peace with God. We have peace with God who is in heaven. That's the change, right? When Jesus comes, peace comes down. And what they're saying here is that through Christ, through the sacrifice that's about to happen, we can have peace with God who is in heaven. And so then, our last two verses here, we, we learn that while most are filled with praise for Jesus and are enjoying this time of royal entry to Jerusalem, there is one group that hates it, hates what they're seeing, are panicking as they see this happen because they hate Jesus. Uh, some Pharisees in this wild crowd begin to shout at Jesus something quite different. They, they use that respectable title, right? They're still calling him teacher. Teacher, we have something to ask you. But then they, they make a demand of the teacher. They, they say, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them for what's going on right now. Do you wonder why? Well, what, what, what's really at the heart here? Why do they care? What exactly do they want Jesus to turn to the disciples and, and rebuke them for? Well, if you look at, you know, verse 38, you see what they're shouting. His disciples are saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, when the Pharisees hear that, when they hear the disciples saying that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's divine, the Pharisees, they don't believe that about Jesus. And so it's highly offensive to them. On some level, you, you can't really jump on them too much, right? If someone walked in here today and told us that it was, I'm Jesus and I'm back, we probably wouldn't be quick to do it either. This is something that is spiritually discerned, right? They, the disciples know what he's saying and they don't like it at, at all because they don't believe he's the king. And so they look at Jesus and what they see is a heretic, what they see is a liar, what they see is a, a contrarian lunatic. And, and the reason they see Jesus this way is that they are spiritually blind they can't see jesus for who he is they, their eyes do not see the savior it's spiritually discerned and so jesus response to them is a strange sounding proverb and by proverb i don't mean proverbs in our bible but a, a phrase uh, jesus says i tell you if these if these meaning the disciples if these were silent the very stones would cry out in other words you want me to make them be silent if I did that, these stones would cry out in praise to me. You think this is weird? You think this makes you uncomfortable? Wait till you see that happening. And that raises a lot of questions for us. Because what does he mean? Does he mean they would literally cry out in praise? Maybe. I don't know. What stones is he even talking about, right? Are these the stones that make up the temple where they're headed? Is he referring to... to his disciples in the sense that we are stones of the temple? Maybe, maybe. Is it the stones along the path? Maybe. The, the solid, most biblical answer I can give you here is I don't know. And neither do you. No one knows for sure. And, and that's okay though. Because Jesus doesn't make his disciples stop crying out in praise to him. He won't do that. But, but in saying this, Jesus is making clear that he deserves the worship he's been given. He deserves the worship of the entire creation and he will not stop his disciples from praising him. So that's the, the passage. Now there, there's two questions that I want us to process as we, we seek to apply this passage. And I'll be honest, 
working through this this week, my observation was there's a lot of interesting things going on in this passage. There's not a real lot of obvious application in this passage. Um, But let's consider two things. The first one is this. How do we receive Jesus? And he's not going to come marching in here right now. He might. He's probably not. Um, Right? But how do we actually receive Jesus into our life? Do we we reject his kingly rule like the Pharisees do here? Or, or, Or do we look on Jesus with reverence like the disciples do here? Many, I, I believe most of us in this room, have a, a good relationship, a right relationship with God through, through faith and through Christ. But, but that doesn't mean we always relate to Jesus properly. It doesn't mean we always revere him in the way that we should. We are prone to, to wander, to become apathetic. In fact, sometimes in a moment, we are functionally Pharisees. We, are, we, we functionally reject Jesus as, as the Lord and, and just the center of our life and, and like they do. We might do this by the way that we, we value someone or something more than we do Jesus. Really, you know, de- deep down in our heart. We, we might do this by prioritizing things over Jesus, over the worship of Jesus. We, we, we do this when we object to Jesus' right to, to rule over our life. We, we do this by being embarrassed or worried how others think uh, will think of us if they know that we are Christians. I know when I first became a believer, I was in high school, and I remember there were some people I thought, I've heard them say Christians are weird. I don't want them to know that I'm a Christian. And, and I purposely tried to hide that for as long as I possibly could. I, I imagine there's probably been other times in my life, if I'm honest, where there were moments I didn't want someone to know I was a Christian. And I, you know, just because I knew what they thought of Christians. Uh, maybe we do this by, by simply being apathetic in worship of our holy and, and triune God. Is there reverence in your heart when we sing to the Lord on Sunday mornings here? Are you aware of the reality that that God is spiritually present here, receiving praise, receiving our our awe and wonder and and, and delight in him that he rightly deserves? Is that something that's actually on our minds? Do we think of our holy God hearing our responsive readings and corporate and silent prayers and confessions? I was sent this video, I sent it to a couple of you, Alex, um, of a video of a, a church that has this church service, and they actually set up a roller coaster, a kid's roller coaster on their stage, um, and they sang as a worship song, Roller Coaster of Love, which has been in my head since I've seen the video, uh, <clears throat> going around, and, and that was kind of, so they had their singers on there, and I saw that, and I just thought this is the most ridiculous, shameful thing I've seen in a church service. No mention of God, it's just entertainment, and, and I was real quick to judge it, which is why I sent it to a few of you, so you could join me in judging these people. Um, and then I considered it again, and I was still judgmental, and then three or four more times still just absolutely judgmental, and I'll be honest, I'm still judgmental on that as a really terrible thing to do, um, because it doesn't honor the Lord, it, it doesn't... You know, you wouldn't find that in the regulative principle. Uh, anyway, at some point, though, I, I, it really came back to, to bite me in, in the face. Is that where you get bit? Um, just this reality that here I am judging them for, for not honoring the Lord, not showing reverence to the Lord. And then I'm thinking, how many times in my life have I walked into a worship service and I'm worried about a hundred other things? Have I just not even acknowledged the fact that this 
the songs I'm singing and the prayers I'm praying, that these are being heard by God who is, is holy, holy, holy. Just fail to have reverence in, in the glorious God that we, we serve. Um, so I, I challenge you to think through that when we come in here, just to evaluate your own heart and, and to ask the Lord for true reverence for him that you're, you're not capable of conjuring up on your own. That you just be so aware of his holiness that, that Jesus would give you that joy to, to show reverence to him. So, uh, furthermore, in what daily ways do you revere God? In, in your home, your vocation, your, your quiet moments with him in prayer? If you're small groups this week, that's one of the questions you'll discuss. How do we show reverence to God in our, our normal everyday life when it's not just corporate focused worship? The second question to ponder in application of this passage is this, do, do we long for his return? And that might seem like a weird question based on the passage, but Jesus' entrance to Jerusalem, this is a moment of triumph, right? But, but it's only for a moment. You're going to see real quick that, that now begins this, this, this path down, down this, this way of life for Jesus, this place of life where, where these public shouts of praise for him are, are going to turn into these public shouts calling for his crucifixion. And still, can you imagine having been in Jerusalem on that day as, as Jesus just rides into the city, how glorious it would be if you could, you know, DeLorean it back to this year and watch this. The, the people shouting praises and laying down palm branches and their, and their clothing. If, if your faith's in Jesus, then, then one day you are going to, to see and rejoice as your king comes in glory that outshines even that day in Jerusalem. That's where this comes in. On that day, Jesus will ride again, only this time upon a white horse. That's the image we see in the book of Revelation. This time he comes with power, conquering. Now, On that day, it won't be humility. Jesus will come to conquer his enemies. He will come to restore the world and to truly bring about peace and to embrace the people that he has redeemed forever. And everyone who trusts in, in Jesus on that day is going to be part of that crowd. We're, we're going to be singing and praising and, and looking to our King and glory. And, and reverence won't be something we, we even struggle with in that moment. So let's long for that day. And, and as we think on it, even in this day, every day of our life, let us, let us seek to praise the Lord, to, to show reverence to Him in every aspect of our life. May we inwardly and outwardly always show reverence to our king let's pray father teach us to see jesus rightly as real as holy as graceful that he invites us into to worship him and to know him and to be redeemed by him because we couldn't be redeemed on our own Lord, help us to see him as divine and worthy of our worship may may we be filled with awe and, and reverence Holy Spirit, work in our hearts so that worship flows out of us for our Lord, both in private worship and corporate worship, and so that we are bold in public, letting others know that we are subjects of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our King. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.